Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher. Today, we are going to talk about going with the flow of life. And in the case of our guest, that means the flow of Class 5 Whitewater. Our guest is Adam Herzog, and he was first introduced to me by a friend as a world-class whitewater kayaker. Since meeting Adam and watching some of the videos he sent me of the rivers that he's paddled, I can attest my friend's description is undeniable. Adam was born and raised in Western North Carolina, and he currently calls Asheville home, where he lives with his wife and his two kids. Professionally, Adam is a trauma nurse and a paramedic instructor, and he describes himself as a lifelong whitewater paddler. He's taken on some of the most aggressive whitewater possible and has participated in and won many well-known amateur races. In our first discussion together, he expressed to me that his existence revolves around this sport. I am so excited to talk with Adam today about the flow of his life's journey in the water. Adam, welcome to the campfire. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Man, I am so excited. You know, before we got started talking here, I just, and actually I woke up this morning just all fired up because, you know, I just think about like the metaphor of a river. And, you know, it's just such a great metaphor for life because, you know, river goes through all different kinds of conditions, you know, like a, you know, like a particle of water, it just, it, you, it can be in this really still water and then it starts flowing and then all of a sudden it starts going a little bit faster and obstacles get in the way and the, the water starts moving faster and now all of a sudden you're in these fast rapids and then, you know, you get through the, 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 the fastest of the rushing water and then it becomes calm again. And it's just, man, it's such an amazing, amazing metaphor. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So I, I would love to just, um, let's start with just how you got started in the water. I grew up paddling in Western North Carolina with my father. Back in the early 90s, he was kind of getting into it. And I was, uh, you know, preteen, kind of junior high school aged kid. But we lived in the mountains of North Carolina with not a whole lot to do. Yeah. And it happened to be a fantastic place to learn whitewater um, sports. There's a pretty robust culture of paddling in the area and a temperate climate with lots of rain. Um, so it's very conducive to, to, to kayaking. Yeah. So I, I, I remember like the first time we talked, you were kind of talking to me about how like before whitewater, you were sort of in the like skateboard culture, which I thought I just kind of thought that was cool because you made sort of this connection between like the skateboard culture and the kayak culture. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a different medium, you know, but the, yeah. they're very similar in a lot of ways, uh, you know, individual kind of sport that, um, inspires a lot of creativity i think and taking a taking a you know like in the case of a skateboard an inanimate object like a piece of pavement or concrete and making making something cool out of that you, know, you get in the water and you kind of adapt yourself to that environment so there's there's a lot of similarities to that it's just a very uh creative and, and individual sport 
Totally. Well, it resonated with me. I'm a child of the eighties. And so, you know, I grew, I grew up watching like skateboard movies and, mm-hmm. you know, Tony Hawk and, and some of those guys were like, you know, sort of idols of mine and my friends. So it's like definitely resonates, but I love that translation into, into whitewater. So, but you kind of had a unique experience. Um, the way that you learned whitewater, like with your dad, he was, um, you were telling me like, he's, he was very like con- conservative in the way that he taught you whitewater. He was, yeah. So I grew up paddling with, you know, I was, as I was getting to, you know, into my early teenage years, I was getting more and more competent. And, but I was paddling with guys that were in their 40s and 50s. They're real conservative uh, in terms of risk taking. And so they were perfectly content to paddle down easy white water that was well within their abilities and never really push themselves. I, being younger and more aggressive, wanted to uh, to see what I was capable of, but my dad just straight up just had hard, fast rules that he stuck to. And at the time, I was very resentful. Like, for example, there was a rapid on uh, the Chattooga River in northeast Georgia, yeah. and uh, it's a famous section of river. It's kind of an intermediate section of river, uh, but it climaxes in this big rapid called Bull Sluice. We name rapids just like, you know, Ski Run would be named. Um, so Bull Sluice is this kind of classic, uh, bigger rapid on at the very end of the Chattooga Section 3. And, you know, we would get down there. And it, it was within my abilities. Um, it would have been a little bit difficult for me. Like it would have been a little bit of a push. Um, and I always wanted to attempt it. And dad was just, nope, can't do it. Not going to happen. And so it would end up in like a family meltdown or, you know, (laughs) arguments over the dinner table about whether or not I could run this rapid. But then when I was probably 15 or 16, a little bit older, um, we were progressing and we were moving down to a further section of river downstream, section four of the Chattooga, which is harder. And uh, you actually put in at the takeout for the easier section. And so, you know, I remember that day very well. He's like, all right, this is the day you can do it. And did it, had a really nice line or route through the rapid. And, uh, you know, that taught me patience. Uh, the river isn't going anywhere. And so it's really a value in waiting until you're, until you're ready as opposed to pushing beyond your skill set. Yeah. And if, in whitewater, if you push beyond your skill set, you're, you're taking a lot of risk. What, what I love about this is like because your dad was conservative with you it it kind of helped you to sort of slow down the learning and really develop mastery of the fundamentals of paddling so like how like how long of a time period between um like when you started and when you really started getting into the the more aggressive stuff it was you know i was uh probably 11 or 12 when i got into paddling and then he really didn't let me push it at all until I was out of the house. I was 18. And at that time I was, you know, I did, I guess what they call now a gap year. Um, At the time it was just a a year without a plan. Um, But I was raft guiding and doing some sort of like working in restaurants in the winter and stuff. And then I was out on my own and I was able to make my own risk assessment and uh, make my own decisions. But I, I maintained that philosophy of, of waiting until the time was right. Yeah, I just, I mean, man, it's like, so you had essentially like seven or eight years of like fundamental paddling yeah. mm-hmm. in in more um, 
risk averse sections, I guess, so that you could really ma master that before you got into the hard stuff. And I just think like, I don't know, I just find that to be so cool because it just seems like, like when you were finally ready to take that on yourself, you had this foundation that was like completely setting you up for that success, which is awesome. Yeah, I maintain that to this day. So I go out like this afternoon, I'm going to go out to a really easy section of river and just do a workout there. And um, so like we have a, a mantra and paddling, you know, make the hard stuff easy and the easy stuff hard. So mm. you pick lines or routes or a little challenging series of moves and really easy whitewater with virtually no consequence. And then you can adapt that to hard whitewater. And, uh, and so it gives you a confidence when you are uh, paddling something that's very difficult with a lot of risk and a lot of consequence. Um, it gives you the confidence you need. Like I've done this in, I've done this a thousand times in a really easy section of the river. So I know I can do it here, even though there's a lot more going on. That's awesome. It's the repetition. And I love it. Yeah. I think I heard you say, make the hard stuff easy and the easy stuff hard. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, man, that was so awesome. Okay, so if we have listeners that are maybe unfamiliar with the class system, could we just do a quick little overview of uh, of of that class system so people kind of have a good understanding of the kind of water that you're paddling in? It's similar to the climbing grading. So it goes one through six. It is a closed system, so it tops out at six. Class one is flat moving water. Class two would be you know, small riffles and shoals with, you know, no real consequence to being in the water outside of your kayak. Um, when you get into class three, uh, you have bigger ledges, waves, um, swifter currents. And uh, in the case of having to exit the kayak, so, you know, we, we roll our boats if we flip over. Uh, that's just a fundamental, you know, rescue, self-rescue skill that we use all the time every day. Um, but in the case of a, a failed roll or maybe get stuck on a rock or something like that, you sometimes have to exit the kayak or swim. Um, never the plan, but if you swim in class three whitewater, it's going to be unpleasant. But as long as you have the appropriate safety equipment, you know, life jacket, helmet, those, those things, um, it's probably going to be fine in terms of uh, any real injury. Yep. Um, when you get into class four whitewater, there's, there's a line. In other words, there's a place to be and a place not to be. It requires some execution of, of uh, a line and an errant line will result in potential injury. Um, it can result in death in class four whitewater. Um, and then class five, you have, you know, waterfalls, tall ledges, um, powerful currents, long sections of rapids that are linked together. And swimming out of the boat in class five whitewater is, you know, you have a, a risk of death and injury. Yeah. And there is a class six. There is. That's a little bit controversial. Some people say class six means non-navigable. Mm -hmm. So when a rapid that is considered class six, you know, as progression happens, you know, people push the envelope. And so something that may be considered unrunnable or unnavigable um, is, is run or kayaked, um, when that happens, then that's typically downgraded into five or five plus. So it's, it's not a perfect system. Um, and there's definitely, uh, some, some subjectivity to it, but that's the basic concept. Yeah. So, so let's talk about Adam and the kind of water that you like to paddle because you've had this progression. Dad had you in the, when you were paddling with dad, where were you in that class system? 
we were primarily on class, you know, obviously class two to begin and, you know, progress to class three, some mm -hmm. easy class four, mm -hmm. um, but we never really, and, you know, my dad still paddles to this day and he's never really cared to go beyond easy class four. Yep. Um, for me personally, I, you know, if I, if I have my choice any given day, I'm going to paddle something that's class five. Um, but I'm also perfectly content paddling on easier water and practicing. Yeah. So part of this podcast is um, I love talking with people about their adventures, but I also, I think for me, it's more about hearing like what that, like that voice inside that calls us to adventure. So like what I want to know for you is like, can you tell me about that voice that calls you to class five? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's a few reasons why I paddle. Uh, one of them is because I paddle. So it's just a habit. Yeah. Um, it's like when I, it's maybe not the most romantic answer. It makes but, sense. Uh, you know, when I wake up and I've been doing this for so long, you know, pretty much my whole life that like when I wake up in the morning, you know, one of the first things I think of is, all right, you know, am I going to get on the water today? And what, what do I need to do to make that happen? If that means I need to get up at 4am and go paddle flat water in the dark or go out after dinner or, you know, are the kids in school that day and whatever, but it's just become a part of my everyday existence. And you know, I think habits can be really positive and really negative influences in our life. But yeah. for me, that's been a very positive one. Um, yeah. But beyond that, um, the thing that I really seek out, uh, when I'm paddling is and we were talking about a little bit earlier before the show, but it's this flow state, yes. uh, this concept of, of just not thinking about anything for, even if it's only for a few moments. Um, and that that's to me, the pinnacle, you know, if I'm paddling a rapid and I'm not thinking at all, then that is, that's what I'm really trying to achieve when I go out on, on hard rivers. Um, and there's a couple other things that I get out of it. One is um, camaraderie. You know, I have a really tight knit group of friends. And when you're doing um, partaking in extreme activities like whitewater kayaking, you bond at a more accelerated rate, I think, than you do in normal everyday life. So someone who I've maybe only paddled with a handful of times, I might feel very close with because we've had that shared experience. So we get a lot out of, I get a lot out of the, uh, the bonds, you know, the friends, I get to go to some pretty amazing places that are only accessible by kayak, mm -hmm. spent a fair amount of time all over, you know, the U S and into Canada. And you know, some of the, the gorges that I go to are so the woods are just so thick and trailless and, and the gorge is so steep that there's really no other way to get to those places. And so. Um, that's a really unique experience to be able to see a place that's only been, you know, experienced by other paddlers. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, that going to those unexplored places and then of course there's something about nature that's just, it, it also kind of nature also helps to create those flow states, I think. Um, so I, real quick, I, I, I want to go talk about the flow state that we, that you just talked about before we jump into that though, this concept of extreme sports, Right. So, yeah, the class five, you know, I guess would be considered extreme sports. But I'm curious because you, you started at such a young age, you've built this foundation like to Adam. 
does kayaking a class five rapid feel like an extreme sport to you? It depends on a class five rapid. Okay. Okay. So if I'm on my, my local river, my local stretch river is the green river in North Carolina. People come from all over the world to paddle Mm -hmm. it. There's a big race on it every fall. Um, And it's, if you're hiking in there and checking it out, it would look like just a series of cascades. So it would look very extreme, but I'm out there, you know, 50, hundred days a year and have probably done it thousands of times. And so that, um, that doesn't feel very extreme, even though if you saw it from the shore, you would think it was really extreme, but you, you develop a tolerance. Okay. So like the first time I paddle a really big rapid, it's going to, it's going to have a a fast rate of speed. It's going to feel maybe a little bit out of control. And then the more you do it, the more um, you have that like repeat experience the more things slow down and it feels less and less extreme. doesn't mean it's any, it's any less dangerous. And that can be a double-edged sword because you get more comfortable and it breeds complacency. And the river really hasn't changed. It's just my uh, perception of it. Yep. And so it's the, the hazards are the same. Uh, and so you have to be really careful about complacency. So something that I'm doing several days a week will feel really chill and easy, but it's still the same objective set of hazards. I mean, for you with your experience, I think like risk management has become like part of your intuition, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I have a way of breaking that down. So I have four questions that I ask myself um, and I don't necessarily do this consciously, but it's something that, that I've developed over time and, and teaching my kids um, how to deal with risk management. This is how I verbalized it to them. So four questions. Uh, Number one is what's the line or the route through a rapid. Okay. Okay. So I just look at it and, and that's generally pretty obvious. That's called reading the water. And so, you know, it's just like a rock climber would look at a wall, you know, you kind of see the route. So what's the line? Number one, number two is, can I hit it? And that requires some, you know, some self-assessment, a little uh, introspection and some honesty with yourself. You know, what can you, can you do it or not? Um, number three is what happens if I don't? So that's the consequence. Okay. If, if what happens if, if you're offline or you, you miss your line, is it going to be, you go into a rock or are you going to get stuck somewhere? Is it, you know, is there a, a deadly, potentially deadly spot? Um, so what happens if I don't? And then the fourth one, and maybe the hardest one to answer sometimes is, am I okay with that? So what's the line? Can I hit it? What happens if I don't? And am I okay with that? That's how I summarize my, you know, my decision-making, but I don't, that sometimes may be me really asking myself those questions or it might just be a feeling. Yes. Um, and I make that decision in 60 seconds. If I take longer than 60 seconds, like, so we get out. So we're, if we're paddling an unfamiliar section of river, yep. we stop, eddy out, you know, stop in an eddy, get out on the shore and scout. So we look at the rapid ahead of time or maybe a series of rapids ahead of time. Um, so we're sitting on the shore making that risk assessment. And I ask myself those four questions. If I can't answer those questions in 60 seconds or less, I'm walking around. So I go back, get my boat, put it on my shoulder and just portage around the rapid. Um, and if I can answer that question positively in 60 seconds, then I get right back in my boat and immediately go for it. I don't hem and haw and screw around. Man, this, there's, there's such an intentionality to what you just went through. 
And I'm like, I just took a whole bunch of notes. I'm like, I'm mind blown. Cause I think a lot of people think like extreme sports is just like this incredible, like blind courage. And no, what, yeah. what you just described is very, very intentional. It's, yeah. it's amazing. And I would say I'm probably, if there's a, you know, a range of, of different ways of people analyze these things, I'm probably on the more intuitive side than some people. Like I have friends who have scouted waterfalls for literally years and like waited till the perfect water level and like gone in there when there's no water at all and swum around on the bottom and like looking for rocks and things. So some people are really, really analytical and have like, they have their, they know every stroke they're going to take and they can kind of visualize that in their head. And I'm, I would say I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, some people just go on pure gut and, you know, charge ahead, but, um, I think, yeah, there's, there's a pretty wide spectrum of the way that people analyze these things. It's very, you know, it's a very personal decision. Yeah. And, and it totally makes sense. I just, I, I just love the intentionality of it. Like, you know, you've been doing this since you were 11. So, you know, the intuition, like you talked about it being habit. I mean, a lot of it is just habit. It's something that you've developed yeah. over a long time. And so it's like deep inside your unconscious and something that just happens naturally for you. So I love this. And I have, um, so I was sharing with you, but before we started here that I've, uh, I've done a little bit of like study on flow states. Um, and so what's cool is like, I've got sort of like this academic knowledge and you have the experiential knowledge and it, it's just so cool. Like, but you know, this, this idea of flow state, it's, it's really, um, this guy, Mahali Csikszentmihalyi wrote this book called flow and he defines it as an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. And, uh, uh, Csikszentmihalyi actually passed away, um, I think earlier this year or at the end of last year, but um, Stephen Kotler has taken up a lot of his work and he created this organization called the Flow Research Collective. And Stephen um, has written a bunch of books. One of them was called The Rise of Superman. And it's about like, uh, it's about extreme sports and how athletes are able to accomplish these incredible feats by entering into this flow state. And so what Steven's kind of created his whole career, like breaking down flow states. And it's just so um, it's super inspiring to kind of understand like the science behind it. But to be able to sit here and have a conversation and like, you know, kind of dig into the sort of real life aspect of it is just so cool. So like, I wonder if you could just kind of share with us, like, like what that flow state sort of feels like for you when you're in the water. It's interesting. I, I actually tried to read that book. I couldn't finish it. <laughs> you don't need to. You're an experience. Some of us have to read and learn, like do it academically and other people just get after it. It was a cool book. The flow is the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was just too academic for me. I just couldn't finish it. But um, the experience. So when it's, when everything is, I think you said, you know, when you're performing optimally, yeah. uh, what it feels like is you're just operating on instinct and there's really no conscious thought in your brain. Um, you're, you're, you're just acting, reacting and interacting with the river in a very primal way. So it's almost like the, what I would imagine, like the caveman and the, the tiger, or whatever, you know, it's, um, it's very much just a, well, with whitewater, it's interesting because you're, we talked about this earlier a little bit, but you're literally in flow. So I think, of course, I'm biased, but I think whitewater, maybe surfing is probably like 
at least to me, the, the ultimate way to obtain a flow state because you're literally flowing down the river. Yep. Um, the water's flowing around you and, and you mentioned this word too, but particle, but when, when everything is perfect and, uh, and you're right where you want to be, you kind of feel like just a particle, a little piece of a little water droplet that's being pushed along. Um, so you're, you're really just kind of, um, you're just being everything else melts away and there is no, there's no conscious thought. Yeah. Uh, if you're having conscious thoughts in those moments, then you're probably in over your head. You're probably scared and doing the wrong thing. You don't want to be thinking. You just want to be acting. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I, and I got to think that like when you're in that flow state, you know, even though the water's moving really fast and there's obstacles around you, like you're not fighting the water. No, no, you can't fight the water. Yeah, people talk about like conquering rivers and that, that terminology has always really bothered me. Um, same with mountains or any other natural experience. There's just, you have to relinquish control to some degree. I mean, you want to be in control, but the river's, you know, much more powerful than you are. So you really, fighting it is not going to help you at all. Um, yeah. You're only going to waste energy. So you have to, yeah, you have to <laughs> just um, go with it. Yeah. So, I mean, you pretty much have to be in a flow state when you enter that class five. How do you get yourself into the flow state? I do some visualization, you know, some guided imagery. I do this, uh, if I'm heading to, like, if I'm heading to the green, um, this past winter, um, the green was running about twice the normal water level, which makes our class five rapids more like class five plus. So it's a very intense section of river at that level and it was because there's a dam release on the river it was very predictable so every day you know monday through friday it was the same level um very intense white water super dangerous and so i had a little process i went through and it kind of developed through the winter and it was working for me really well so i just stuck with it but i would drop the kids off at school and i put in uh Metallica's album Ride to Lightning. I just nice. started right from song one. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, it's pretty heavy. And then I'm driving down I-26, heading to the river. It's about a 30 minute drive. It takes about as long as it does to play that album. And I just visualize every single rapid. So I've got that, I've done that river, you know, thousands of times. And so I know it just like the back of my hand. And so I can just picture every single rapid, every stroke I need to take. And then there's this um kind of marquee section of the river we call gorilla falls and it's just a massive incredibly difficult piece of white water uh, with a big waterfall right in the middle of it um very consequential and uh so then you know when when we're actually paddling down the river and i'm you know in that moment i usually stop above it for 30 seconds picture my line in my head and um Peel out into the current and from that point on once you're into the current there again everything just kind of fades away and it's just you and the water being a piece of this thing that's really much bigger than you are yeah. it lasts you know a few seconds and then it's over yeah and i mean when you're in that altered state of consciousness i mean you're you're not really thinking about the experience it's probably not really until you're through the rapid and you've finished that you're able to kind of look back and sort of remember what that feeling was like is that is that fair yeah, I mean, it, it's been interesting this winter just because of that one particular rapid. It's really, um, it changed for me over the course of the winter. Like when 
when we first, when the level first bumped up and it, it was apparent that that was going to be what we were doing all winter, the first few days, you know, it was, again, everything's happening at a high rate of speed. So you're kind of flying through the river and uh, it's just very intense, almost kind of overwhelming. You have this big emotional rush at the end um, and you can kind of, you kind of remember it, but it feels like a blur a little bit. Yeah. And then by the end of the winter, just like in the last couple of weeks, and it happens at just a, a much slower rate of speed and you can kind of remember like every little every little fraction of a second yeah what is that so you talked about it being like overwhelming like when you get through like what is that feeling like when you've when you've come through a really aggressive rapid yeah it's a you know it's a massive adrenaline rush and a huge sense of relief um you know typically for me like i don't really feel scared when i'm in the river like i said that's just not if I'm scared in the river, I'm getting out, you know, yeah. I'm going to get myself out of that situation as quickly as I can. So there's really, you know, there's some apprehension above it. Um, maybe a little tachycardia, a little increased heart rate or some, some butterflies. And then below it, it's just this massive, like, I don't really know how to describe it. Just, it's a rush. You know, it's, it's, it's an adrenaline rush. And uh, people say a lot of kayakers claim not to be adrenaline junkies, but if you're doing that stuff, you're an adrenaline junkie. You know? <laughs> there's no question about that. There's, there's, I think there's like a dopamine effect too, that I think you get that more from paddling something that's maybe well within your abilities. It's not pushing you to the extreme yeah. like that. But if you're, if you're really like putting yourself on the edge, then yes, it's going to be an adrenaline rush for sure. Well, you, and you just talked about dopamine, which, you know, I learned over the last year is like a huge factor in flow states like dopamine. It's like, that's the drug that basically makes us feel the, re the reward, right? It's like right. the drug that right. our, our brain produces and, you know, flow states are, um, have heavy amounts of dopamine. And so that's like, you know, part of the reason why we do what we do, because it feels good to, to be in that exactly. flow state yeah. and have that dopamine. But one thing I thought I think is interesting to kind of share with you at the beginning, like, Again, like academically that I, I've, I've learned that there's sort of this cycle to flow. And so we can't be in a flow state all the time, right? We just, we just can't. And so um, kind of the, the cycle of flow begins with a struggle phase and then there's a release and then you drop into the flow state. And then when you come out of the flow state, there's this sort of recovery period. And then you kind of go back through that. But it was so interesting because I just heard you say above the whitewater, above the rapid, you might have an increased heart rate and you might have some butterflies. And I got to imagine that's kind of the struggle phase. Right. And then, I mean, something gets you from there into the flow state and it's got to be that release. Sure. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, what is that like? What is that release like? You got, you've got kind of got these butterflies. I guess maybe there's some fear associated with that. And I mean, I get to me, it's not really fear. So maybe I think a better word would be apprehension. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and then then when you're in that flow state, there's just it, it's there's nothing in your brain at all. You're just yeah. you're just an animal. You know, yeah. everything's stripped away, and you're just uh, you're just at your your core. You know, it's like kind of shows you what you're made of, I guess. Yeah. You know, in a, on a, if you're on a perfect line and you don't get, sometimes you can navigate those kinds of rapids and barely get your face wet. It just feels like everything went exactly as smoothly as it could have. And that's a, that's a fantastic feeling, very rewarding, but um, I almost get, I don't want to say I'm never, I'm never, I'm, I'm always happiest with that situation. 
Um, but I'm also, I feel a sense of satisfaction from um, maybe being slightly offline or maybe flipping over in the boat in a place where I just absolutely have to roll up and I have one chance to do it. And uh, if I am put in that, put myself in that position and it's kind of like your back's up to the wall, uh, you have to perform in that moment or there's going to be very real consequences, then I perform, do what I need to do. That's almost a more rewarding feeling because I knew that like I was really tested in that situation. Whereas if I was like perfect online, I wasn't really tested. I just used all the foundational skills that I had to set myself up where I wouldn't need to be tested. So that's an interesting question. So when you, like, if you experience something that's like you, you get offline, like you said, do you fall out of the flow state or are you still in flow state at that point? Um, it, I guess it changes a little bit. No, I think if, um, if I am, if I'm having to, to like hit a roll or move across the river in a way that I wasn't before, it's, it's still a flow state for yeah. sure. It's more of a survival state. Okay. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not maybe a meditative state. It's more yep. of a survival state. Um, but again, you still can't really be thinking. So you're just, I guess I'm just kind of banking on the skill set that I've developed over 30 mm -hmm. years, that that's going to be my hat of tricks that gets me out of whatever yeah, situation totally. I've got myself into. Yeah. And I mean, for people listening, like you're talking about this idea of getting offline, right? And, you know, for people listening, I think that you're not somebody that's just blind to the danger of this, of, of this thing. I mean, you're, you're a trauma nurse, like you've seen firsthand, like what can happen in these situations. Like, can you just talk just briefly about sort of the struggle? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I've experienced a lot of highs and lows and paddling since I've been into the class five Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've lost a fair number of friends. I've had that experience on the river several times too. Um, and to the point where, you know, I lost one friend in particular in a paddling accident. I was with him. Um, good friend. And he, I was sort of a mentor to him. So it was very, uh, just very upsetting yeah. uh, experience. And it, it really took me a long time to, to deal with it. I still think about it all the time. And after that happened, that was back in 2012. And in 2012, I, I never quit kayaking, but I kind of shifted my focus and I started doing, I, I dipped away from the fringe, you know, really difficult whitewater and started paddling more. I, I still wanted to challenge myself. So I was like, well, I, you know, if I, if I don't want to paddle, because what the situation you don't want to be in is where you're forcing it. So if you're not really feeling it, you don't want to be put yourself in a situation where you're going to have to obtain that flow state, but you're anxious and nervous and scared and worried and you can't get there. Right. That's dangerous. That's where you don't want to be. Um, so instead what I did is I started doing these big endurance battles. So I would pick like a section of river that was maybe 40, 50, 60, 80, 90 miles long, yeah. really relatively easy whitewater and just do like a huge tour. So I got into that for a few years. And so it kind of, you know, it's ebbed and flows over the years. But through the trauma job, and I take care of acutely injured patients in the emergency room. Um, and I've been doing that for, I've been a paramedic and a nurse for 20 years. So you kind of learn that like anything can happen to anyone, anytime. And yes, whitewater is, people sometimes say like, oh, it's just like, you know, 
driving a car is dangerous too. No, whitewater paddling, you know, high-end whitewater is more dangerous than driving a car. Yeah. Um, but, but that being said, you know, I, there's risk to everything we do in life. And so I try to, um, I try to do the best I can to mitigate those risks, but I still take them because I don't want to live a life without risk. To me, that's not really a life that's worth living. I don't want to live a life without risk. I mean, and every, we do, whether, whether we acknowledge it or not, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the water calls you and that's where you find your flow state. Exactly. And, and there's struggle that comes with it, but we got to follow our heart. Exactly. Yeah. It's tough with kids. You know, it definitely adds a uh, complexity to, to the problem. Um, that's really, I grapple with it all the time, but I keep doing it. <laughs> You do. You know, one thing that I find real interesting though, like again, kind of coming back to like, so I love this because I'm like looking at my own box and then I'm looking at you and I'm like, you know, I can study this stuff, but you have the experience. And that's like, that's, that's the cool thing. But like one of the like triggers for flow is this thing called, and Stephen Kotler talks about it and Csikszentmihalyi talks about it, but it's the challenge skills ratio. Right. Yes, I'm familiar with that, that curve. And so, yeah. And so it's like, you know, if we take on a challenge that's too great for our level of skill, it freaks us out yeah. and like sends us in a tailspin. But if right. we take on, if we try to do something like that's way below our skill set, it's boring. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's basically trying to find that balance between our skill set and that level of challenge. Right. And so I look at you. As somebody that's been paddling since age 11, had a father that really taught him the fundamentals and you've mastered the fundamentals, clearly you need to be on class five because that's yeah. where your challenge skills ratio is. Like somebody else that gets in the water, you know, for the first time has no business being in class five because they're not there with that challenge skills. But like, right. but that same person can find flow in class two. Sure. Yeah. Right. Because yep. their challenge and their skills match. And so to me, like it makes complete sense that you're tackling the kind of water that you're tackling and you're doing it intentionally and you have this risk management plan that's just intuitive. And it's it's really, really cool, frankly, just to be on a call with you and just kind of see somebody that's experiencing that. It's just it's just cool. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, talking about like risk mitigation is I and I've really just started doing this in the last probably probably such, I'm 40, I'm about to start 43. So probably as I was approaching 40, um, I started doing things I had really never done as, as a 25 year old class five boater, which is like paddling, doing like interval workouts on flat water, um, yeah. breath holding exercises, um, freestyle kayaking. I mean, I, I had always done that, but just kind of for fun, but like freestyle kayaking with the point of essentially cross-training for survival. So if you can, you know, flip your boat around and all in a, in a small feature, a small safe feature, again, making the easy stuff hard and the hard stuff easy, that kind of cross-trains you for being able to deal with that situation when you're offline in a bigger rapid. Yeah. Um, you know, cardio, weightlifting, all that stuff, flexibility. So I've really, which that prevents me from getting anxious. If I know that I'm in the best shape that I can possibly be in, I feel like I'm well prepared for whatever yeah. situation I come into. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And so you, you mentioned your family, you mentioned your kids, do they paddle? Yeah, they're getting into it. I spent the last couple of days kayaking with my older son. He's uh, about to turn 12. Cool. Um, it's been, uh, 
it's been interesting. It's I had forgotten how hard it is to learn. It's very counterintuitive. There's a lot of obstacles. You're trapped in this little boat, um, kind of locked into it. It's very claustrophobic. Obviously, the water is usually cold and dark and wet, and it's just uncomfortable to learn. So it's been it's been kind of interesting watching the boys. Um, my older son is very cautious and my younger son is like very bold and so i think as my younger son starts paddling it'll be interesting to see their different styles because like rylan my older son he'll really only if you saw him on a mountain bike or on skis he'd be like wow that kid's brave you know he's a daredevil but he never crashes you know he just always <laughs> was within his yeah. skill set yeah and then um you know my younger son's only seven so he's still kind of developing his personality but it, it yeah. seems that he's a little more or a little less risk averse yeah it's been fun having that. We have a raft too. So we do a lot of family rafting and that's, that's just fun. You know, there's no, no real risk there. It's just, everybody's having a good time. So. Totally. So what's, I think is interesting. So your oldest is 12, your youngest is seven. You started paddling when you were 11. Like, do you, yeah. do you ever flash back to when you were 11, like watching your kids? Yeah. And it's been really cool because a lot of the rivers that I grew up paddling on, I didn't go to for many years, like decades really, because they were just, I don't know, they're just kind of too easy. Um, I wasn't going to get a lot out of going there, but now it's like I've rediscovered those rivers and I'm seeing old faces that I hadn't seen for 15, 20 years. And uh, it's been really fun to reintroduce my family to, to those rivers and those experiences. And so like, what advice do you give to your kids at that kind of at that same age that you were at when you started, you know, looking at their sort of journey through paddling and through life? Like what, what advice do you give to your kids? Well, I teach them those four, those four questions, you know, and how to, how to like manage risk and assess risk. Um, and I also, it's, it's a little complicated, like kayaking is my thing. And so I, I don't want them to feel like they have to do it. Yeah. I try, I really try not to put pressure on them. Yeah. Uh, I think there is some implicit pressure that they just are going to have to deal with. Yeah. Um, anytime we go to a river, you know, I've been paddling around this area for most of my life. So I know everybody it's a small community and so i try to teach them that they need to develop their own life and like have their own their own things too um but yeah i think you can learn a lot of lessons from paddling and that that like risk management is probably one of the big ones I love it. And, and I just have to tell you, like in terms of flow states, right, you sent me a bunch of videos before we talked just so I could kind of get like a grasp of, of what you do, the class, the, the rapids that you're and like I'm mesmerized. I put these videos on. I can't take my eyes off of the water. It's just and you know, like when you're watching a, anybody that's sat by a river and watched rushing water, it's just mesmerizing. Yeah. Just sit there. But like your videos are just they're incredible. And so um, hopefully we'll be able to post a couple of those videos to the show notes so people can get on and see what kind of rapids that you're, that you're paddling so that they can kind of have that, that, that feeling. Um, But I I guess I'm curious. So for, for folks that are listening, you know, this, what we've talked about today is about, it's about flow. It's about like the flow of a river. And for you, it's class five, but you, there were so many nuggets that you shared, like your four questions that you ask. These are not things that are specific to whitewater. Yeah, absolutely. These are life lessons. I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, whether it's challenge skills ratio, like increasing kind of your level of, of skills commensurate with the challenge. Like what, what advice would you have for anybody listening that's, you know, maybe feeling some of that apprehension about kind of taking whatever it is they love to the next level? 
Um, I think, you know, developing a, you're not talking about weight water. You're just talking about life in general, right? I am. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think, you know, having, um, I think about this a lot, like for example, uh, going through nursing school and paramedic school, a lot of people have test anxiety and I never really experienced that because I was always prepared. So I think, you know, doing the foundational work, um, whether that's studying for a nursing exam or preparing for a big rapid, um, if you're well prepared, you shouldn't feel anxious. Yeah. Um, and that, that should give you the confidence you need to assess the risk and pick your line and, you know, be successful in, in life. Um, that's really one thing that I've, I've gotten out of paddling that I've been able to adapt to, uh, to other facets of my life. I love it. Be prepared. Were you a Boy Scout? I was. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the Boy Scout mantra worked yeah. for you. I mean, if you don't do the, the work, then you probably should feel anxious when you're being tested. But if you've done the preparation, then there's no reason to be anxious because you've done the work. I love it. All right, Adam, like your whitewater paddling abilities are incredible. These videos that I've seen you do, it's amazing. And at some point, Hollywood's going to make a movie about you and your life. And so I want to know who the actor is going to be that's going right. to play in your movie. Uh, the only one I could come up with for this was Anthony Edwards. <laughs> No, Anthony Edwards. All right. I love it. That's because when that show ER was really popular, I was as as a nurse in in an emergency room and I always wore green scrubs and people like weekly, people would tell me I look just like that guy. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. So he, he played goose and, uh, in yeah, top yeah. and that's top yeah. of mind for everybody right now too. So yeah. that's great. I love that. Yeah. What's your movie going to be called? I think I'd call it whiteout. And the reason why is because, um, when you're for me and the white water, if I'm in a really, uh, big rapid with a lot of water in it and, um, I'm being pushed to just right to the edge of that peak performance curve that you're referring to. Yeah. Um, oftentimes there's water in your face and you can't see. And so we call that whiteout conditions. That's really what I seek out. And the cool thing about that is when you can't see, um, you're having to rely on just your body and the feeling and like all the input that you're getting, the sensory input that you're getting from speed, acceleration and the, the flow of the water. And so that's like Jedi training, you know, it's like, it's, it's <laughs> like you can't see and you're just flying down this thing. And, you know, you're relying on all the skills that you've developed over, over for me years um, to balance, counterbalance and get me through that. You just, right blew, you just blew my mind. Man. <laughs> way, way to take us out. That was amazing. White out. And then, of course, you threw in the reference to the Jedi, like, you know, my favorite. Like, oh, man, yeah. that was that was incredible. Thank you, Adam. This was such an amazing talk. Uh, for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Adam's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review or sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Adam, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate having me. It's a lot of fun.